0: For seniors and New Yorkers living with disabilities, the state's consumer-directed personal assistance program has been a popular means of obtaining the necessary help to ensure they can live and thrive at home this state initiative, which allows for someone to hire and train their own personal caregiver, has been under fire in recent years at the Capitol, as multiple governors have looked to slow state health care spending, and this year is no different, with Governor Kathy Hochul looking to impose stricter standards for the program. To discuss the governor's proposals, as well as changes that advocates in the space actually want to see, we're joined by two guests on the Capitol press room, and they are Blaise Bryant, a communications specialist with the New York Association on Independent Living. Welcome to the show, Blaze. Thank you, David. It's a pleasure to be here. It's our pleasure to have you here. And also joining us in the studio is Brian O'Malley, Executive Director of Consumer Directed Action of New York. Welcome back to the program, Brian.
1: Thank you very much, and thanks
0: for having me. So as part of the 30-day amendments to the governor's budget proposal, the governor is looking to limit the number of hours a personal assistant can work, restrict which patients can use the program, and impose new conflict of interest rules designed to address concerns about artificially inflated prices in the consumer-directed personal assistance program. The changes are supposed to result in an annual savings of $200 million. So for starters, what's your take on this latest proposal? This
1: program has been under attack for several years, and this is in many ways more of the same, but I would say the attacks are steeper and more dramatic than anything we've seen yet. The initial cuts in the governor's original budget would bring wages and compensation down to levels that the workers have not seen since 2018. With the changes from the 30-day amendments, we would see potentially over 100,000 people lose eligibility for consumer-directed personal assistance. And that would be children, people with profound developmental disabilities, uh, seniors with dementia, Alzheimer's, and other cognitive impairments.
0: So when we talk about patients who have developmental disabilities or, say, dementia, what is their capacity, though, to utilize the consumer-directed program? Because this is billed as someone who is going to take responsibility for their own care. So do people with those conditions have the capacity to oversee their own care? They individually do not.
1: And that's where the role of what's called a designated representative has come into play. This is a role that's been in the program since it was created uh, in New York City back in the late 70s. And it's historically allowed people who, for whatever reason, cannot self-direct their own services to take part in the program because a parent or a brother or sister or a neighbor is going to perform that function for them. One of the most famous cases is a woman named Anastasia Somoza, who was one of the very first children admitted to the program in New York City back in the early 80s. And she went on to go to Georgetown while using CD-PAP. And ultimately, in 2016, wound up on stage at the Democratic National Convention giving a primetime address. None of that happens if she didn't have access to CDPAP throughout her childhood and young adult life.
0: And what about the idea that there are some room... To limit the hours that caregivers are providing. Does some sort of standardization in that area help potentially blaze? Not one bit, David,
2: because this is a very individualized program. The plans of care are developed by the consumer or the designated representative if the consumer is not comfortable or unable to self-direct their own home care, along with their caseworker with either the county department of social services or their managed long-term care plan caseworker if someone needs 24-7 care that consumer is likely going to need more than 40 hours a week from their home care worker because of how much of a systemic shortage there is because as brian said before wages for home care workers essentially if these cuts go through would be at their lowest since 2018, which let's not forget. We are still emerging from this thing called a global pandemic that killed 15,000 plus people in nursing homes in New York State alone. Home care workers kept people with disabilities and seniors out of nursing homes and safe when COVID was running rampant. So to cut home care wages and to limit how consumers utilize the program is completely counterintuitive to what the governor has said in the State of the State address. It is completely counterintuitive to the Master Plan on Aging and Disability, and it is also counterintuitive to the governor's Olmstead Plan, which has a quarter million allocated in this year's budget.
0: So you both referenced the wages for home care workers, and this was an issue that came up multiple times during the budget hearing on the health portion of the governor's budget. And the Medicaid director, as well as other officials in the Hochul administration, downplayed the idea that there is a meaningful cut in wages as part of this wage parity plan. Can you two help me understand why, from your perspective, this is a tantamount to a cut moving forward?
1: Wage parity requires in the New York City area, an additional $2.54 be paid to all home care workers. That's not just CDPAP, it's also those in traditional agencies and others. That can be paid in wages, it can be paid in benefits. Many agencies offer a combination of both or they offer workers the option most workers, like most low-wage workers, choose to receive it in cash. When you look at that, regardless of how it's taken, it is a two dollar and fifty-four cent per hour cut in their wages or their benefits or a combination of both. That would take them from their current level to eighteen fifty-four. I won't think, and that we haven't been to that level in combined wages and benefits since, as I said, 2018. So it's difficult to see how we're not cutting wages and benefits through this. It's also important to note, 15 years ago,
2: home care worker wages were getting 150% of the regional minimum wage. Well, at that time, it was one minimum wage because one state, one wage, which has since changed under former Governor Cuomo, and as time has gone on, home care worker wages have decreased. It has been a cut because as the minimum wage has increased, the home care worker wage has not kept up with that increase. So therefore, it is essentially a cut because, as I said before, home care workers were getting that of the state minimum wage, which is what they need to be getting because there is such a shortage. The most rapidly growing population in the state are baby boomers. The CDC's statistics on disability have increased because of COVID. This all points to the need to increase home care worker wages, because if we don't, that's going to force more people into institutions where they are going to die, and the cost of quality of life can never be repaid by the state.
0: Well, we've identified some of the state policies and ideas that you guys don't like. What would you like to see state policymakers focus on this year at the Capitol as it pertains to the consumer-directed personal assistance program?
1: First off, reject all of these harmful cuts and then move forward. And we need to not just talk about building a plan for the aging population. It can't just be a concept of this master plan for aging. We have to move forward with actions that build the infrastructure that's necessary for those services. We talked about the baby boom population and... Increasingly, the Center for an Urban Future identifies that, increasingly, it's a non-white population that is aging in the state of New York. We have a, more and more of our population who is aging. One in eight people who are aging are living in poverty. And so we have to be ready that we ha- will have a population who is, has been living in poverty, who we know, because of systemic racism and other factors, has been dealing with a lack of access to care, a lack of high-quality health care throughout their life that will need lead to higher need for home care and other services. So we have to build that infrastructure. I think investing in the services as opposed to pieces like the plans, um, these managed long-term care plans who essentially pay for one service and get, are making billions from the state in paying for that one service, we can do this in a better way, a smarter way, spending the money on healthcare services and not paying long-term care plans to essentially manage one benefit.
2: To paint a word picture since this is radio, I'm sitting here with a headset on and at my feet is my seeing eye dog, who's a yellow lab golden retriever mix. I have been totally blind since birth, and I can't believe that I'm living in a state that is trying to roll back home care services in 2024, when the Americans with Disabilities Act was passed in 1990 and discrimination for people with disabilities has been quote-unquote outlawed since the 70s. I have friends who utilize home care. I have utilized home care. They are scared. I am scared. The fact one in four people identify as those with disabilities, the stats are likely higher when you factor in those who do not identify who may have a disability, the truth of the matter is this is completely contradictory to the state motto of Ever Upward. Governor Hochul, at the end of her State of the State address, talked about children with disabilities achieving their dreams. Disabled child needs home care. How are they going to be able to achieve their dreams if they do not have the necessary home and community-based services to do so. Again, it just makes very little sense, and it almost feels like the Master Plan on Aging and Disability is a diversion away from all of these issues. And one of the recommendations from the various subcommittees on the Master Plan on Aging and Disability was getting rid of the restriction of the activities of daily living that have been in the budget since 2020 with the medicaid redesign team too which have not gone into effect because of covid in the state not spending down the covid money yet
0: well finally is this program an easy target for the state since caregivers in CDPAP are often friends and family who might ultimately do this work uh, for free. In some cases, if they're shut off from state funds, do you guys feel like the kindness of family members and friends is almost exploited to a certain degree by the state and that's how they are able to advance some of these initiatives?
2: The state, when you run the numbers, Unpaid family caregivers account for over a billion dollars. Kindness is one thing, and home care is an intimate thing. These are the people that come into folks' homes and are helping them with very intimate tasks, whether that's showering, getting dressed, going to the bathroom, eating, grocery shopping, cooking, doing laundry. These are very hands-on, time-consuming tasks. And the reality is, whether it's a family member or a friend who is providing the service, they need to be compensated fairly for it. And that is, in our view, at minimum, 150% of the highest regional minimum wage.
0: But do you think that the state tries to exploit the fact that friends and family love these people and they know that, okay, if I can't qualify to help them through CDPAP, I'm still probably going to try to help them and and the state takes advantage of that.
1: I think think try is the key word Mm -hmm. there, right? I think lots of times we think about ourselves and I know when my parents need services, I'm privileged and I can drop everything and get in the car and go down to my parents' house. It's an hour or so away. I can take phone calls from there. I can make up work later. I am I, privileged in that way. I think a lot of the folks who are in these roles enjoy that privilege. What we don't realize is for many, leaving work means not getting paid at best and not having a job to go back to at worst. So we can try to take care of mom or dad. We can try to take care of our brothers and sisters We still also have to put food on the table. We still have to pay our rent. We still have to pay our utilities. CDPAP allows that to happen. It allows people to provide the services they want to provide and actually still be able to meet their basic needs. It's at a minimal level, and I think the state does already benefit because lots of times people aren't given enough hours, and these family members are providing hours above and beyond what they're getting paid for. This gives them the option to survive while taking care of mom and dad. It gives them the option to not completely burn out while trying to keep their brother or sister out of an institution. And we can't lose sight of that as we're trying to trim costs.
2: A very direct answer to your question is yes, because the program has grown exponentially and the state should be celebrating this growth because home care is 30 to 70% cheaper than nursing home care, 30 to 70% cheaper depending on where you get your numbers and cutting family members and friends out who would be designated representatives for consumers who either cannot because of their disability or if there is a language barrier yes i think it is clear exploitation that in 2024 is more unacceptable than ever
0: well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. We've been speaking with Blaise Bryant, a communications specialist with the New York Association on Independent Living. Thanks for joining us, Blaze. My pleasure,
2: David. Thank you.
0: And also in the studio has been Brian O'Malley, Executive Director of Consumer Directed Action of New York. Brian, thanks for making the visit. Thank you, David.